This is the Sea to Sky podcast with Marcus and Alan, weaving through the issues in Sea to Sky country. Welcome to Sea to Sky broadcast number two, and we're here with Matt Blackman. Did I say that right? You did. I wasn't sure if it was Blackman or Blackmon. Well, that's my Facebook name. Yeah, that's the latter one. Okay. Yeah. All right, and we're here to talk about alternative energy. And what is alternative energy? Well, technically, uh, it's anything that's not uh, generated with gas, uh, oil, coal, or the traditional, or, or hydro, really, because hydro has been around for a long time. It's an alternative to the mainstream types of power that we've had historically throughout throughout our you know our civilization. Right. Okay. But and I guess I guess the knock on uh, alternative energy, if there's a knock on it, but just to be uh, devil's advocate here, is that you can't generate enough electricity with solar. You can't re- generate enough electricity with wind power. Uh, so how do you respond to that? Well, I, it's not a matter of not being able to. It's not. It's a fact that right now, about five to ten percent of our power in North America is generated with renewable energy and it's, it's but it's rising it's the fastest rising sector in the economy solar jobs is actually the fastest rising sector in the economy for job tri- creation so you know there are countries now that are generating 100 percent of their energy through renewables and renewables include solar wind geothermal which is one that really has just begun to be tapped we've got wave technology we've got tidal technology um, there's biogas we can take from, for example, wood waste, which is something we have a lot of in Squamish, you can take that wood and you can turn it into renewable gas, methane, which is natural gas. So basically, it's, there's just so many options right now as far as that's concerned. And within 50 years, probably most cities will have 80 to 100 percent of their energy will be generated through renewable energy sources because uh, the traditional oil and gas, especially that create fossil, you know, fossil fuel emissions, are just not sustainable. Right, okay. Now, let's touch a bit about that on the methane gas. And I, we've talked about this before, about the wood waste, the organic material, and I guess a, a sort of a form, a form of cogen or, you know, repurposing that methane off-gassing. So, I mean, that seems sort of counterintuitive to the whole, you know, green energy. I mean, we haven't said green energy, but I'll, I guess when you talk about alternative energy, a lot of people yes. automatically go green. Okay. But so explain to me how off-gassing methane can be green. Well, it's not a matter of the methane itself. That's the energy. And if it's done economically and efficiently, there's no waste. You don't want methane getting into the atmosphere because it's 80 times worse than CO2 over a 20-year lifespan to the to, as far as a warming. It, it insulates 20, 80 times better than CO2 does, but it doesn't stay in the atmosphere as long. But basically, methane is a very good fuel. It's where is it generated? Is it generated renewably by burning wood waste, which we trees grow, they make wood, or is it generated from natural gas wells, fracking, hydraulic fracturing, or from any other source? They can make it any number of different ways. These are not renewable sources of energy, and they create so they're taking uh, compounds that are tied up in our in our uh, in our world and under our, under our, our soils. And they're releasing it. And that stuff has been there for millions and millions of years. A tree takes, grabs CO2 from the atmosphere, grows. When we take that tree, we use the lumber, we take the wood, and we release methane, 
but then we recapture when we grow more trees, so it's a renewable resource. We're not adding to the net CO2 uh, uh, stocks in the, in the atmosphere. Okay, and you know this is why I like talking to you, Matt, because uh, you know, we did. I talked to you earlier for an article uh, that was in the Chief about mm-hmm. this very subject. And talking to you, you're talking about real solutions. You're talking about you know the nuts and bolts. Okay, here's what we need to do. Here's some or here's something that we can do. Because so often when I hear talk about alternative energy, usually it, it goes immediately from that to cap and trade and a carbon tax. And people go, well, I'm taxed enough. I don't really need uh, you know any more money out of my pocket. Whereas you're actually talking about real solutions. So, but what, what would be the cost of some of these projects? Well, let's just take the Woodwist example, because I'm, I'm working with another company called Hydrohouse, which is a it's Hydrohouse Dynamic Solutions. And they, they build structures. They build greenhouses, but now they're building all kinds of structures. And basically, they have greenhouses that are closed system greenhouses that take, anything they take are, are, is controlled. So, for example, if we were able to find a source, a clean source of CO2, we pump that into the greenhouse and that's sequestered, it's captured and, and absorbed into the plants. So it's not, it doesn't go into the atmosphere. Now, the plants might get buried, they get eaten, they go, in, it, it, it goes, they go into the carbon cycle, but it's not released into the atmosphere immediately, depending on, you know, I mean, it depends on a lot of things. So what I like about that is the fact that we have a 50,000 metric, a cubic meter problem in Squamish every year with wood waste generated. 50,000 tons, that's $500,000 to dispose of that. And the way they're disposing of it right now, they used to burn it. They, they don't do that as much anymore. I'm trying to get a slash burn license now is almost impossible. So they take it out into the Chikai fanlands out by the, uh, the landfill and they bury it. We have over 100 acres right now in Squamish with buried wood waste that's Unusable. Now we have a we have a wood we have a, a you know a land problem here, a land availability problem. There's a hundred acres that's just tied up with rotting wood in the yeah, ground. Yeah, and that's all off-gassing methane. And that's releasing methane. When you bury, and this is you know my opposition to Site C Dam. Any large dam creates a dead zone. All the organic material they've they've you know they've covered over when they flooded the dam rots, and you get methane. And this is one of the best kept secrets of of, of large dams. Okay, I want to go back to hydro, but before we do that, I want to talk a little bit more about the wood waste. Now, a lot of people don't realize in Squamish that we're actually, that methane that's being off-gassed now, it's actually being burnt off now, which, again, it seems counterintuitive why it would be better to, to burn it off. But it actually, it's better to burn it off immediately than to let it seep into the atmosphere. Is that correct? Well, they're not burning it. They're burying it, and it comes out as methane. There's no flame attached. It just, just goes out as methane. Well, when I talk, maybe they're not to that point, but when I talked to the mayor about this subject, she said that that was in the works. That they, I mean, obviously they'd rather be re- repurposing that methane, but they were at least on their way to burning it, burning off the methane. But the question is, it's a logistics problem. How do you take 100 acres with wood spread out all over the place? And, and she doesn't deny that. She's the first to admit. Yeah, and off gas. I mean, and that's, we're only one small community. This is a real problem in all around, all over British Columbia, and in fact, across Canada. So what would you say the solution would be? Because, I mean, if this is happening and there's wood everywhere and there's methane release, and, there, you know, even the local politicians are saying, yeah, this is an issue. What, what's the next step? By how, would you, how would you repurpose that? How do well, you go in there? There's a number of solutions. Um, the solution that Hydro has, because, you know, I'm very, it's a good friend of mine running the company, so I'm very familiar, and I'm, I'm a, big, a big fan of what they're doing. Um, so what they do is they have something called gasification. It's a very clean, there's a process like that right now run by Nextera that powers UBC, provides their heat and light. And they actually also generate syngas. So they take wood waste out there, they, they grind it up, put it through this you know, gasification process. And gasification can take any way, shape, or form, many forms. But the most the form we're talking about is a, a, it's done at a lower temperature, 
burns off, and then you get all the charcoal. But this requires a plant. This requires a infrastructure. Plant. Yeah, the plants, and that would be paid for by investors because this. So what's what's happening? So right now, the wood industry is paying five hundred thousand dollars a year to dispose of wood waste in right. a very non environmentally friendly way. Right. We're saying, okay, we'll charge you less, and we'll, you know, we'll, you still have to pay us to take your 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 wood because we have to process it, we have to shake it, we have to you know dry it, and all that kind of stuff. So we would take it, we'd reduce your costs, and then we would take that wood waste, we put it through our two stage process, create heat light and co2 for our plants again so we're and and what comes out of the stack is, is virtually is totally clean right and we're growing plants we're creating a whole new industry using renewable energy wood waste renewable energy so and then ultimately if we have enough if we have enough capacity which means add more greenhouses that we could actually start remediating all that line we can pull that uh, that uh, those logs out of the ground dry them and put them through the gasification process because you can put just about anything through gasification. Well, I that, but the thing is, there's need to be incentive, that, and that's one thing. Like I've, I've always realized, like when they've been talking about, like Al Gore's been talking since 2001 that mm -hmm. all of the stuff is going on, and he mentioned this like 17 years ago in his documentary that the mm -hmm. only way we're going to change policy or change a way of thinking before it's too late mm -hmm. is by making it green, but money green. You have to understand the economics. If people can make money with it then it'll, be, it'll go through the roof, no problem. So it, it's one of those things where you need to prove that it's economically viable and it's good for the earth. And somehow then the big people will move in and go, okay, you know what, you know, I, I can make money with this. And then it's actually going to generate more income than say the other type of gases that I'm the, the limited are the, um, the, the other resources, non-reusable, uh, renewable, renewable yeah. resources. So, I mean, is there a business model in place for this to actually sort of say, you know what, this works, this makes money, this helps the community, let's get this going. That, that's what I mean, like you need those dominoes for right. it to sort right. of spread and do. Like, right. So yeah, you have you know areas full of wood that's rotting and is buried, but you sort of need the push, you know, to convince people to do it. So right. what, what are those what are those, those steps? You well, you touched on a lot of points. Uh, let's look at the next terror project out by UBC. They got a federal grant. I don't know the numbers. Their facility, if memory serves, is somewhere between 25 and $30 million. Part of that was paid by the federal government. Part, I believe, was paid by the provincial government. Um, and then UBC kicked in. It's also generating raw material in the way of heat for uh, UBC. I, I think it's over 10% of their campus now is heated using renewable energy. So it's got a business, and that's got value. That's got value. For the greenhouse industry, we are going high-end, high, very uh, um, uh, delicious, nutritious plants. We don't use any fossil fuels. It's, it's thrown in a nutrient solution, hydroponic. And, and that's a very profitable business if it's run properly. They're even now growing medicinal marijuana using hydroponic greenhouses because it's the most efficient way of doing that. And that's another topic. But I'm just saying yeah, I was just gonna there say. are a number of very high <laughs> really squamish the cannabis growing capital. Well, you know what? Well, you there's a giant plant in Whistler. One of the biggest ones in Canada is in Whistler. All right. Anyways, why weird. not? I'm, I say yeah. why not? Now, again, that's something that has to go up to public referendum. But if we're doing a, if we have a medicinal license to grow medicinal marijuana, we're growing it for people that it's, you know, there's health, it's, it's got all kinds of health benefits that they've discussed, again, still to be proven, because it hasn't really been a mainstream medicinal uh, remedy. But I mean, I'll, there's a huge demand for it. And, it. and growing it is energy intensive. We have wood waste for that. Right. So there's the value. With the wood waste, we get paid to take the wood waste. We have to process it. As long as we can cover our processing costs, drying costs, and chipping costs, we have to shake the gravel out as well. Although, depending, there's a number of there, these uh, units are getting more efficient all the time. But there is a value to that wood waste, right. as opposed to just burying it in the ground and paying half a million dollars to dispose of it. 
there is a value for that. And they can pay less money to give it to us. We then turn that into plants and jobs um, and electricity. So we can turn it into less electricity, syngas, which we can pump. There's a, a pipe running right by our town, going right up to Worcester. Uh, through, you can actually go on online, look at Bullfrog Power. You can actually, if you're using natural gas in your house right now, you can pay them a small fee and you can offset all your fossil fuel generated methane with green biogas methane. So you're basically saying, okay, I'm gonna offset my carbon footprint by doing this. For example, if you go on a flight, you can actually buy so many tons of carbon credits to offset that. So you're actually, and that money goes into help for projects like this, mm -hmm. projects that help alleviate the problem. But there's a very strong economic case for not only that, but all green energy. Solar energy, for example, in the States right now, they're doing solar projects for the equivalent of four cents a kilowatt hour. We're talking utility, uh, concentrated solar projects, big in Nevada and places, and, and they can do them in a lot of places. Right now, Site C Dam Power, if the, the estimate doesn't go up anymore from $10.7 billion, we're looking at $120 a megawatt hour or 12 cents a kilowatt hour. So for one- yeah, but it depends, it, those solar projects, when you, when you say four cents a kilowatt hour, depends on, you know, that's optimum because the problem with these solar projects, and this is why they've ha it hasn't taken off in, you know, a place like Saudi Arabia where you think, well, they've got thousands and thousands, millions of acres of desert. Mm -hmm. Why not just put up solar panels? The problem is once you get dust on them, they're no longer generating, rather generating a lot less power. That's the problem. So yeah, there's solar projects, but you're, you're, you're well, stating the That's opposite. a technical problem though, and that's so, it's a very solvable problem. And bear in mind, it's still all quite new. The, the concentrating solar projects they're doing in places like Nevada and other places work extremely well. And they actually have, they have automated cleaning swipers that swipe across yeah. them. Saudi is a bit of a different case. Uh, there's some political stuff going on there, but uh, like countries like Oman, which is just south of it, has a giant solar plant that they're building. Uh, Egypt has giant plants going. And then they have the, also the sand and dust issue. Uh, with, with Saudi, it's, it's a little bit of a, a political thing, I think, that the why they didn't go solar than anything else. Um, but... So, oh, okay. <laughs> so but, but again, there's, there's solar and then there's solar. There's solar thermal. Solar photovoltaic, which is the panels you see on people's roofs, usually, unless it's hot water, is about 20 to 25% efficient. Those efficiencies are going up all the time as they develop new panels, thin film and, and organic based. Um, solar thermal is 80% efficient. And that's what these concentrated solars do. They actually take mirrors, they reflect into a central tower filled with salt. They melt the salt. It, it goes 24-7. So again, and this is... I would consider a fairly rudimentary solution to a, you know, to a problem. And they could take, they could have some kind of compound that they heat up, put down, have a big reservoir underground. So during the day when the sun's shining, they're generating all this heat, goes into a big tank, and then, but it's, it, it, and it heats enough so it's hot enough to drive turbines 24-7. That's not that difficult. So, but the thing is, what people forget is that the cost of power from large dams like C and Site C just keeps going up. And we've been doing this for how many hundreds of years now? Yeah, okay. Solar costs have come down from, I mean, they've come down over a thousand percent. I mean, they've dropped from uh, $10, actually $100 a watt down to two cents a watt right now for solar panels. I mean, this is, and this has happened in the last decade and a half to two decades. Batteries like lithium ion batteries. That, that was my next question from there with the solar power. Yes, it's optimal, but how do you keep that power? Well, that's that's what I'm saying. If I was to build a house again, I, I would either look at a, some sort of drilling a geothermal system through my backyard, and rock is the most ideal compound. We have lots of that here. Or you build your house on a huge cistern that's insulated during the day when the sun's shining, and you've got thermal, so it's very efficient. All that hot water is going into this huge tank, 
And it's, you know, it vents and everything else. And that's just depending on the size and how much heat you require, that's your heat, that's gonna really lower your heating cost because instead of having to take, we have an air-to-air heat exchanger. On a cold day when it's minus 20, that air conditioner or that heat, uh, heat exchanger is trying to pull heat out of minus 20 air. Well, it can't do it. There are, now there are ones that are efficient, but it uses more power. So instead of that, you run, you actually run a, a coolant through it and you bring it from underground where it's 10 plus degrees so you're using a lot less power to warm it up to your 20 or 22 degrees, whichever is often. You can also use it for your hot water. So this is just a matter of time. And, and if you look at how quickly these technologies are progressing, you know, the problem, a problem a year or two ago, well, just to give you an example, I put solar panels on my house. When I did it, it was, we put a 12, uh, 12 panel, three kilowatt system on the house. When I put it on, installed all in for a roof mount system was Three dollars and fifty cents. All right, because that was going to be my next question. Is you know what these all sound great, but we got to get down to what the cost is. Okay, I estimated my cost at the time about 17, 17 years payback time. Now I'm a solar advocate enthusiast. Um, I've done all the research. I know that the day I put those solar panels on, I sell my house the next day. I'm going to get that money and some back because people, my my, my utility bill automatically drops. Okay, recent case, and you covered this in your article. Diamond Head Motors, local business in town, put yeah. 168 panels on their house, or on their, their building, 50 kilowatt system under the net metering program. They need no batteries. Their payback, according to the owners, they're looking at 10-year payback. Yeah, that's right. 10-year payback. Now, they had economies of scale. Their cost was far less than the 350. It was probably less than half that. Minus, I don't know, again, but it's... It's for a large project like that, you're getting close to a dollar fifty, down even to a dollar a watt installed. And I mean, when you get a payback of ten years on a system, and then after that, it's free power, basically, other than your cost of maintenance, which is what I mean, it's really no maintenance for these things, other than you know wiping the panels down once and go up with the power washer once a year and wash them down because we have lots of rain, and, and the rain washes my, my panels as soon as it snows. Snow stays on there for a half an hour, and then as soon as it stops snowing, here this just because I have there are thirty one and a half degrees because I, I have a steeper roof. Right. My, actually, my brother, my older brother, lives in California, and he has solar panels on his roof. And he says that in the summer months, so about four months of the year, he has zero electricity costs, or or it's plus. He's actually selling back into the system. Right. The problem is, and I don't know, I think BC Hydro still allows you to, in fact, no, they do because Diamond Head Motors does this, but the problem is, is more and more jurisdictions are actually making it illegal to yeah. sell back yeah. a lot of states power. Are, a lot of states are putting those laws in now. Yeah. Well, they're in their short term. I mean, I know Nevada did it and then they undid it. I mean, you know, there was this big battle and then they finally, because everyone left, including Tesla, the, you know, the solar city. Um, and that's a relatively short-term solution. The longer-term solution is you're going to have microgrids. You're going to have people going, you know, fine, you want to do that hydro, and you're going to have communities that set up their own grids because it's getting so efficient now with storage, and storage is getting so cheap because battery costs. Battery cost was was a uh, hundred, no, a thousand dollars a kilowatt hour in 2010. Right now, there the new Chevy Bolt had uh, batteries built from LG. It's a, 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 106, so it's come down from a thousand to 160 dollars. Tesla's projecting by 2020 or 2022, it'll be closer to 100 dollars a kilowatt hour for batteries. And we haven't even got into the supercapacitors yet. And so, supercapacitors are far cheaper than lithium ion batteries. They charge in five minutes, 
and they have a far higher density. Now, they're still working on that technology, but that technology, there are companies now, Faraday's announced that they're going to be having a capacitor system in their new Faraday car. Now, again, still not on the roads yet, but they're confident enough to say that, you know, by 2020, 2021, we're, our cars will be capacitor charged, and that is going to completely revolutionize the whole but, storage okay. issue. But just for people that maybe are not up on battery technology, now, the typical, the old-fashioned flooded acid battery, that typically cannot be uh, powered down past 50%. You generally got to keep that about 50%. Right. Then you have the glass mat batteries. AGM. Or more commonly known as AGM. And right. they can go down to about 10 20%. And lithium is about the same, about 10 20%. Right. And the difference between lithium and glass mat, of course, is lithium will recharge much faster than glass mat. Right. That they're the, also a lot more expensive. But they're about five times more the price. But right. they again, they're coming down. So now we're going from lithium. Now, what you're talking about is going from lithium to a, transistors, a quantum leap above that. Right. Right. Okay. In energy density. And right now, they do have capacitor batteries now, charging systems, but they haven't really been working on them. It's all happened as a result of Tesla in the last five years. I mean, they launched, I think, their first roadster in 2006. So this is still, I mean, on the scale of things, technologically, we're still in very new territory. Yeah, I mean, they're the, the one to knock about Tesla right now from uh, from a lot of the like, people in the business. <laughs> they basically say Tesla, to build a Tesla car now, actually is creates just as large of a carbon footprint if you just bought a regular car right now because well, the technology is not there. That was one of the big, uh, big knocks against Tesla, that the actual building of the car, the creation of the batteries, and the pieces they use actually create a big carbon footprint. Well, I guess it depends. The battery technology, and that keeps getting better and more environmentally friendly. Uh, you're, you know, you're instead of doing steel, rolled steel, they're doing a lot of the newer materials. Aluminum and steel use a lot of energy to make it. Uh, there's nothing to say that can't be a, lot, a large portion that can't be generated, uh, you know, re renewably. There's, there's no law that says they have to use oil to do this or gas to do this. Um, but we're going, we're going to be getting into like the carbon fiber type compounds. And again, they're fairly, they're, you know, they're fairly energetically, uh, and they need a fair amount of energy to generate them. But once it's like a solar panel, solar panel takes a fair amount of energy to make. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a silicone compound, either mono or, or polycrystalline. But they've done all the numbers on it. In two years of generating electricity, you pay back that. So, it's, so, so it costs you two years worth of, you know, carbon pollution, if, if you would. Uh, and then it's, you got, and they last for 30, 40, 50, they have systems that were built in the seventies are still operating. I mean, there's no, unless it gets hit by, hits by a rock or dropped these things. And the guarantee now is 25 years, that solar panel is going to generate at, at least 80% of its register power, or you get your money back in 25 years. Mm -hmm. So these things, there's not a lot to go wrong. And now they've got solar film technology that's getting a, a lot. You know, they can roll it on a roof and unroll it, which is super. I mean, they print it out using these. 3D printers. Yeah. Um, so the technology is advanced. And so what you say today is not going to be necessarily technically correct tomorrow because it's happening so quickly. Right. They're now working on, there's a company actually in the States called Solar Window, and they're making windows for side uh, skyscrapers using a, an organic yeah. compound right about that's, yeah. that's 20, it's, I don't know, factors more efficient than a standard solar panel. And you can see through it. Mm -hmm. You can't, don't even know, unless you actually look at it with a microscope, you're not even going to know those. So, so they can have whole skyscrapers with south-facing or west-facing or east-facing windows generating power. I mean, this is, and they're already selling these things. I mean, they're already to the point where they're taking orders for this stuff. And, and that's, so, and this is, so that's one company. And that's one technology. 
MIT is working on an organic film that you'll be able to put over any car, any, any window, anywhere. They have solar blinds now. You can actually, and they'll actually, they'll actually track the sun as it goes up and down. They, they, they actually track the solar energy. And again, you know, blinds are great. And why not have them that pay? I mean, these are things that pay themselves, pay for themselves over time. So, you know, I, all these, I hear all these objections. I hear that Squamish, quote, uh, one of our concerts, Squamish is in a black zone, according to the National Resources Canada. Well, there's no such thing as a black zone. And I don't quite know. Well, I, I would say Valley Clip's a bit dark. We're, we're in a lot of shadow here. <laughs> well, but that's, and that's, if you're in a shadow, or I wouldn't say black, but yeah. gray, gray comes to mind. Well, in the wintertime, but I mean, the thing is that if you have sunshine and you have plants, they all require sun to grow. So yes, if, I'm, if I have a house that I have shading, if I have a big tree or apartment building to the south of me, then probably not a good idea to put solar panels on, at least not on my roof. Uh, you could do a roof, uh, you know, a ground mount, or you could do a lot of them, uh, a lot of companies now are doing a co-op solar. So you, you're in an apartment or something, you can't generate solar from your place. You can buy into a co-op. And in some, community, some communities now, they'll actually do, so for example, in Nelson, they have a community solar system where I can buy panels on that community solar and that offsets my electric use at home. So I get credits for that. Um, so I, we don't do that. BC Hydro doesn't do that. They're not very proactive when it comes to that kind of... Uh, but they are big on hydro. That's how they got their name because they generate they less and less. But for most of their history, generating most of their electricity and most electricity in British Columbia through hydro. Now, I've talked to a hydro engineer uh, years ago who said there's two places in the world where you conceivably could generate 100 percent of your power needs through hydro, Switzerland and British Columbia. Two places also where Norway and Quebec. Quick. Uh, Even not not as optimized as uh, Switzerland and British Columbia, where we okay. have the amount of water and we have the differences in geography to right. to create you know the energy potential. Mm-hmm. Now you're as as you've said earlier, you're definitely against Site C, uh, but we've got a couple of Run a River projects. Oh, I totally support them. They're okay, fantastic. so let's talk about that. Yeah, why can't we do more of that? Well, it's it's a more it's a ma- and site C. The thing about made mega dams is a other than the fact they typically go way over budget, they're way capital over intensive. They're very capital intensive, and they're they're flooding large amounts of land. They're displaced. I mean, for example, in the case of site C, it's five thousand hectares, which is that's what five thousand acres or five five fifty thousand acres yeah. of land that's going to be flooded and buried, and that's then that's going to create methane, which is and there's no way of getting around that that I know. You're also completely majorly changing that the flow of the river. So if there's any salmon or any uh, fish runs, they they basically they have to truck them up, and that has proven very unsuccessful. So I mean that's the big big problem with hydro. I mean I think there are ways of doing the IPPs. There's a, an island called Hierro, which is in the Canaries, and they take water. They have solar and wind. They generate power when the solar and wind is out. And then they pump the water up to big reservoirs that they've actually built on the mountainside. So at night, the water comes down and, and they power. And again, they don't power all their power. But they used to use diesel generators for this. So again, each country has its own geographic challenges and solutions. And run of river works, uh, but it qu- tends to be quite expensive. Like we're talking right now, I think they're getting somewhere between $110 to $120 a megawatt hour, which that's, that's, more, that's about as much as we, you and I pay for our house power. Right. We pay between nine cents and thirteen. You know, we have step one, step two. So 
it, it depends. I, I'm all in favor of that because they're doing it normally in areas where they're not flooding and killing organic compounds. So they're, they're, they're putting reservoirs in where you're not going to have a release of, of methane. We don't need any more methane. So if you can do, if you can have a run of river project where you're not generating methane and you're not, you know, you're not take, wiping up farmland and you're not displacing huge amounts of people, then I'm all in favor of it. Um, but the thing is that what a lot of people don't realize is the technology is advancing, as I said before, for solar, wind, geothermal, all these things so quickly that by the time CITES done, right now they're saying 2024, good luck on that, I think it's going to be closer to 2028. You know, so what's solar going to be? Right now it's four cents a kilowatt hour or four, uh, $40 a megawatt hour. It, if it goes down to like a, a $10 a megawatt hour, I mean, so, and we're paying 120. So here you are, and Site C is way hell and gone up north. There's transmission losses. They got to build, they're going to have to spend over a billion dollars just building transmission lines. Doesn't it make more sense to generate it close to or at where you need it? No transmission losses, no transmission costs, and, and I become my own power company. Yeah. Uh, but. We're at the point of sightsee because I remember when they were bringing in the Ashloo and everyone was against it. And at that point, there was so there was hundreds of independent companies that wanted to do thousands of run of river micro hydro projects all over the province. And conceivably, and you know, as I say, I talked to a hydro engineer, so conceivably, there was the potential to generate as much as sightsee in all combination of these various projects, if not more than Site C without any cost or limited cost to the public purse because these would have been either entirely private ventures or mm -hmm. they would have been P3s. Mm -hmm. However, there was enormous <coughs> public opposition to run a river. A lot of it, I think, was misinformed because mm -hmm. you know people just generally seem to think that if you do something in the wilderness, it must be wrong as opposed to, as you've said, that here's a project where it's not very invasive at all, as unlike Site C, which is extremely mm -hmm. invasive. Mm -hmm. So this is the problem, you know. There's and I, and I think it, it goes to all these alternative energy uh, conversations. As as mm -hmm. you said, there isn't mm -hmm. sort of the knowledge of the advancing technology mm -hmm. and what works and what doesn't. And I think people on both sides. They're not informed, and there's one side they just want to do everything green. Um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And then there's people on the other side who they never want to do anything because, well, because the people on the green side are for it. I, it you know, it seems <laughs> to be a huge, I mean, that's a vastly oversimplification of yeah, it, no, but, I, I but that, that is going on. I, get, I, mean, that, I, I get that. I mean, I'm not, I mean, I love the environment. Uh, I'm a marine biologist. I mean, that's my training. Um, and you know, I'm a financial analyst, so I can look at it from a very different perspective than most people. Um, and it's a real shame. I, you know, I knew that there was a number of run river projects. My cousin was working on one, and uh, I think it actually got bought out. But it was a very non-invasive uh, system that didn't interrupt anything. Uh, and you've got to remember, most of these run river are higher up. More there's no fish uh, roots. My, my term. There's no fish spawning roots that you're interrupting because they tend to be up pretty high. And there's also there are higher where you know uh, near the top where there's not a lot of trees, and where there are they remove them as opposed to just burying them. Right. Um, I think with those systems, because they are, they tend to be fairly high and far away, the costs, so you have to look at cost. Um, the other problem with Site C, just as a, as a point of comparison, we're looking at $120 a megawatt hour, which is what you could, I mean, that's what the IPPs would, would be, and that's what they're getting typically. But there was an article, uh, the Canadian Wind Energy Group 
uh, had a big $450 million, $450 million project up by uh, Red River, which is up by um, uh, up north, anyway, um, by that coal town, Tumble, Tumble Ridge. Oh, yeah. And they were told by the B then BC Liberal government and BC Hydro that we don't need that. Uh, we're just going to be no clean calls for power in BC for the next decade because of Site C. Site C is going to eat up again right now. 11.7 billion. I, I estimate it's going to be close to 15 billion by the time it's done. But don't, you know, that's just based on what's happened. It started out, I think, when it was initially proposed, it started out like 2 billion. And then it's, it just keeps like escalating. So it's and, like that with every government project, not just Well, <laughs> I mean, the most recent one is Muskrat Falls in, yeah. in, in Labrador, in Newfoundland. And that one started out at 4, and now it's 12. And it's going to double, in two years, it's going to double everybody's hydro rates. Yeah, it's just one of those things that government does. They just don't know how to budget properly. Well, the problem with you know, dams, too, is that there's a lot of geophysical stuff going on, technical stuff. And, and it changes, and you have an earthquake or something. And the costs, large-scale dams typically, are over over time and way over budget, like we're talking double. So, you know, that, and I don't say take them out. I say, yes, that's fine, but there are newer technologies that we can generate power a lot less expensively and a lot more proactively and make people like me the generators as opposed to the consumers. Well, I like that idea. Well, then how do you turn around and convince the government to do that? That's the next leap, right? I mean, yeah, okay, the technology is there. Uh, I'm, I'm sold on the technology, and, I do, mm -hmm. and I've read up a lot of technology like the, mm -hmm. the windows and the skyscrapers. Mm -hmm. I know all about that. Right. It's just a question of convincing the folks uh, you know, in Victoria and and in and, and Ottawa to say, yeah, let's do this. Let's stop building plants and let people generate their own power. Now, wh where do we go from there? Like, how do you make that leap? Well, if Site C hadn't gone, it hadn't been pushed for pushed ahead past the point of no return, which it effectively was by the Christy Clark government, we would have had that money to develop other sources. The problem is now, you know, twelve or whatever billion it's going to end up costing is now that's on top of the what, 81 billion or whatever they already have in debt. So where's that, I mean, so they've got this huge amount of cash requirement to build this outdated, pro which I consider an outdated project. Uh, where now would they get the funding? I mean, for example, in the States, I put a solar system up in my house. I get a 30% tax or 30% credit, full credit. So the government pays 30%. In Manitoba, I get a dollar a watt. So I'm putting up a system that's $3 a watt as a retailer. It's actually come down from that. So it's actually gotten better now because the costs have come down. So they're paying me a dollar a watt. I'm paying $2.80 a watt. So I, for a dollar eighty a watt, I'm getting a, so, so it's a no-brainer. Uh, Saskatchewan, even, you know, Brad Wall's fossil fuel friendly community, that they're, they're fighting the carbon tax. You can get a tax, you can get taxes in Alberta. You can get incentives in all these places to put up solar because yeah. they, they use a lot more fossil fuel. But I, I agree with that. I mean, you, you mentioned Brad Wall and you might criticize him for his overall government policy, but, you know, I'm a pretty free market guy and I, you know, I see the benefit in that. I mean, you, you tell people we're going to go green by, by taxing them more and people go, yeah, no thanks. You know, we're taxed enough. I mean, what happened? There was a gas tax. There's this tax. You know, there's already a provincial carbon tax, whereas Brad Wall and, you know, and other people like him. And we could have done the same thing in B.C. as opposed to putting $12, $15 million into Site C, give people a tax credit. You put solar panels on, you do a geothermal project. I mean, there could have been billions of dollars for tax credits. And like you say, we could have created microgrids. I, to me, the biggest impediment, I mean, Marcus says, how can we get the government to make these things happen? It seems to me the biggest impediment a lot of the time is the government. Well, you know, and I have a different opinion on, on the carbon tax. I think it should be revenue neutral, which means, so if I put solar on my roof and you drive a big truck, diesel emitting truck, you pay a tax for that. 
Well, that money gets given to me to offset my solar, so I'm creating more green energy. I mean, and so it should be carbon, it should be revenue neutral. It's not another tax by the government. And this is how the carbon tax right now is designed. It's going to be carbon, it's going to go back into programs. I mean, the federal government right now, just, I think $189 billion is spending now on electric vehicle infrastructure, which we need. Because we're going to be driving electric vehicles. And because it's going to get so expensive, and this is why we need carbon taxes, to discourage the use. If you want to discourage a practice, you tax it. That's had limited success. Uh, well, okay, it, it depends people, on it people depends still on, smoke. Yeah, oh yeah, but they their <laughs> money still eat junk food. Their their money goes to help pay for the health costs of that. So that money basically they're they're paying it, and then they're getting it back in health because they are we have a universal health care system here. So uh, the idea is you have to. The, the problem is we have we only have one environment. We only have one planet. There's no planet B. You've probably heard that. Um, so. Unless, to, unless Elon Musk can, can turn uh, Mars into planet B. Okay, but, so you want, you, want to go to a planet, you want to go to a planet with no atmosphere. Yeah, no, let's not hot. go down that road. Yeah. That, that was, that was so, a yeah. jest. Yeah. I mean, if, if, and the problem is, and I'm, I'm a scientist at the end of the day, uh, and an analyst, and I, you know, I love statistics, love charts and graphs. I mean, if you look at the CO2 level rising, it's gone from 280 parts per million 150 years ago, and we're now over 400 parts per million. The problem is you're getting feedback loops now, and I don't want to scare people here, but I'm looking at this saying, this is, I mean, we're seeing it's the rate of change which really matters. It's not the rate at which these things rise or fall. It's how quickly they're accelerating or decelerating. And we're seeing these levels. So you, you can say, I don't want any more taxes. People go, well, they sit in their little you know, houses saying, I don't want to pay any more taxes. But then all of a sudden, they're going to have huge costs. Insurance costs are going to go way up because they're going to have more violent storms. We're going to have sea level rising. We have that problem here in Squamish. We're going to have to, they're actually looking now at putting a four meter rise in the ocean between now and 2100. They want to, so you have to, if you want to build a house now in downtown Squamish, you've got to, got to fill it and, or build a, a, a wall around it to, to raise it up. So, so who pays for that? Well, I still think that you're going to get a lot more traction when you tell people that if you do this, you're going to get a tax credit. You're going to keep money in your pocket for being proactive as opposed to we're going to tax you for being a miserable sinner. Now, I'm, I'm using miserable sinner. Instead of, you know, the carrot instead of the stick. Well, or I, better, yeah, as Marcus says, that's probably a better way to put okay, it. Okay, so yeah. who pays the $1 a watt to help incentivize people to put more solar panels on so we don't have to build as many transmission lines and we can then fund more of these great projects? That has to come from somewhere. And I, I believe a carbon-neutral tax is one solution. It's not the only solution, but it's one solution, as long as the government doesn't cheat. and take Yeah, as long as the government doesn't so, cheat. And again, it's, it's never carbon neutral. That's the thing. I've never seen a carbon, I've never seen a neutral, a revenue neutral tax. It, it doesn't happen. Well, that's another, that's another discussion. Yeah. That's another yeah. discussion. I know lots of small business people that rely on, you know, they rely on uh, transportation. They have to use trucks and they're like, you know, this is not, there's no way this is neutral. I'm not seeing uh, yeah, a, a break. And, that, and that's the thing, like technology is growing. I mean, and then we look at the global scale, like say we figure out how to get the Western world clean, like, like the, I think it was a cleaner, Nor cleaner, but, but, totally but clean. Norway was like, uh, they want all electric cars by 2020. Yeah. And they have all these things, all these plans going on. Or great. Right. So Huge incentives. Yep. Yeah. They're giving the incentives. They're figuring out. So say we figure it out and we have all these great stuff with it. But then like, there's the rest of the world. I mean, it's the question of how fast can we get the rest of the world up to grabs? Because, I mean, you look at, uh, I, I lived in Egypt for many years. Uh, they're laughing. Like, every time we say, we recycle, we do this. They, they laugh. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. good yeah. luck. Yeah. You know, like, they just, 
And there's how many Egyptians? And how many are we laughing? But again, you know, the big news. But then you go to India and you go to China. Um, it's, it's one of those things where the, you have the biggest masses of population who nowhere near where we're trying to achieve. So at the end of the day, it's like once we get this technology rolling, great. It's a, it, then you have the next step of getting the rest of the world up to date, right? So not right. only that we have to develop uh, the technology, we also have to develop in a way that it's cheaper. Well, how do you and do that? Though? Look at Germany. Germany started developing green power in the 1980s, and they were paying horrendous amounts for this. So $10 a watt to install solar. It was brilliant, and they all, everybody panned it. Just the, but now they are the economic leader. They're now selling that technology to China. Guess who is the uh, renewable energy leader now in the world for electric cars and solar? China, the most populous nation in the world. India. So as countries, developed countries like Germany and the U.S. and hopefully Canada one day, starts developing these technologies, we, that gives another industry for us. And, and that's my major incentive is because I see we're going through a green revolution. This is the next industrial revolution. Yeah. This is, we look at solar in the States, with Donald Trump even. Solar still employs more pop people. Like eight than coal. The coal, coal industry employs <laughs> 60,000 people. Right now, yeah. solar, even after the solar tariffs, it employs over a quarter million people. Yeah. And it's growing. It's the fastest growing sector in the U.S. economy today. China is just eating everyone's lunch. We're going to be buying, if we keep up without doing any of our, and waiting for all this technology to come along, we're going to be buying this stuff from China. But guess what? Every time a major nation, China's becoming one, develops this technology, it gets cheaper for right. everyone else. India, is, they're making huge strides now to adopt. And they've got huge problems. They've got, there's corruption problems and stuff. But they've, they've got terrible air quality. And so there's a huge incentive to develop these technologies. And by developed nations doing tax, doing whatever they have to do to get it done, including tax incentives or whatever incentives you need, tax breaks, they are building technology, not only to develop their own industry, their own economies, to build, create new jobs, to, to train new technically able people to, to, to run this technology. They're getting the cost of that technology down. So some poor family in Africa can spend, you know, the equivalent of a month's wages to get solar panels. So they have light. So they can study it. They can actually they can heat their, their their coffee in the morning or their tea in the morning, but it's using solar panels. So they don't have to burn, you know, whatever they're doing now. That who knows? I mean, burning the, wood, generally burning wood, or are they still natural. But gas? in a very yeah, and it's any kind of wood, and they're yeah. you know, they're deforesting the whole you know the areas, and that's it's the sort of a double whammy. But the reason China is a world leader in manufacturing solar panels because it costs them you know a dollar a day to manufacture a solar panels, opposed to however much it costs in Canada, or the United States, or Europe. Not you know, not that that's a bad thing. It brings down costs. But our solar uh, panels are better though. They're a little more. I don't know enough about solar panels. Well, and there's tariffs. So that's actually working out. You can actually buy panels now made in Ontario, and they're pretty darn good, and okay. they're pretty cost effective. So I mean, that's changing. There's been some you know, there's balancing out. There's been dumping and stuff. So actually, I think in retrospect, the the incentives or the tariffs they're bringing are probably going to balance the scales a bit more. It's going to slow the industry down. But it's going to make it more sustainable. Yeah, but I, my point being is that it's a business model. The reason the reason it, it ha China has become one of the leaders is because they can manufacture solar panels cheaply and they can sell them to the rest of the world. So they are able to create, generate the supply and sell it, meet the demand at a profit. So that again, this goes back to my original point about the government top-down solutions. It doesn't work. The government needs to get out of the way. I agree. I think that you know green energy. I don't like to use green energy because I feel that I don't know. I always think of Al Gore, and I don't like Al Gore. But uh, <laughs> well, that's an interesting conversation. But but alternative energy. I agree. It it could definitely be a huge industry, uh, pretty much for 
any any nation. I think whether it's a third world nation, you know, China is still technically a third world nation, or yeah, or, or yeah, probably not for long. You're right, or a Western industrialized nation like Canada. However, it's not going to come from a top-down government plan solution. It's going to take innovators. And the reason you get innovators creating these solutions is when government gets out of the way and makes it cheap for them to create and innovate and build this, this industry, build this, this alternative energy uh, industry. Okay, so you're against subsidies altogether? I'm against direct taxpayer-supported subsidies. Well, I'm for subsidies ta- I'm, no, that's all- not true. If you, ta- if you tax somebody... You take that money to Ottawa, and then the government says, okay, we're going to give company A this amount of money, company B this amount of money, which they're actually doing right now with these so-called super clusters. What I'm saying is if you want to be in the industry, okay, great. You get a, you get a 25% tax break on you know, either on labor or materials or however they want to structure well, that works. it. That works. Right. So you're not, you're not taxing somebody and then handing out the money that you've taken from taxpayers to another company. Well, it just, could be argued if you're giving somebody a tax rate, somebody else is going to have to pay that money because they still need revenues. But no, okay, no, because the difference is because that's not actually money that's coming out of the taxpayer's pocket. They actually have to create, you're giving them a, ta- a break on the tax of the money they have to spend to create that industry. You're not taking money and then handing it over to them. That's the difference. Okay, so let me ask you a question. Why, the fossil fuel industry is at least 100 years old. Why do they still get $3.3 billion their a tax year? Breaks. Tax breaks. No, and their tax incentives... And, and so look, let's look at um, the oil sands. Yeah. Uh, they figure right now it's going to be $80 billion or $70 billion to clean that up. And what's, what happens, typically what happens is these oil companies or whatever companies work, and then they go bankrupt. And guess who ends up paying that? That's a tax. So whatever it's going to cost to clean up, and that's only one of our areas that, that produces well, oil the, gas, the, right? When's the last oil company you heard that went bankrupt? And they do pay for they do they pay for their own remediation. Well, coal and they've companies, Peabody Coal went they declared bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. I mean, so they, they and they, what what's going to happen with the Green Revolution as oil prices come down and alternatives become more plentiful? You're going to see. So what happens? There's no no guarantee. I mean, look at Mount Polly, huge environmental disaster. Nobody paid a penny that I'm aware of in any penalties. Nobody went to jail. And guess who pays that? Guess who's paying the cleanup for that? Huge disaster. We're paying that. So we've really got to look at what, I mean, what costs, what what are we prepared to to cherish and save? And I'm not, again, I'm not a a green environmentalist. I'm I'm a realist. We we have to give value to, what's a clean, what's clean air worth? What's clean water worth? We need to give that a value. And they've actually looked at valuing how sound. And they figure, I think the value is over a trillion dollars in benefit for tourists and people enjoying it and, and the, the enjoyment of the outdoors. So, I mean, we have to start assigning value to that and then, and then put a, a price on protecting it. Because yeah. if we don't want it to go away, we've got to do something to protect it. And the beautiful thing about most green energies that I'm talking about, renewable energies we're talking about now, they do that, but they do that while helping the economy and creating more jobs. So, well, if the government has to create some incentives, because these are new industries, Canada is a laggard. We're way behind Norway. We're way behind the U.S. We're way behind China in adoption of these clean energies because we have no incentives. Canada has no national incentive for electric cars, for example. Electric cars are some of the lowest hanging fruit because transportation creates some, I think, 40% of our, our you know, anywhere from 25 to 40%, depending on who you talk to. We can easily fix that by going to 
uh, green, you know, uh, electric vehicles or hybrid vehicles. Now, in BC, about 9% of our, our energy, if not more, is created cleanly through either hydro dams or IPPs or whatever. So we're a very good jurisdiction. Well, what would a national incentive, in your mind, look like for electric cars? Uh, well, like we have in BC. You buy a car, you get a $5,000 or $6,000 incentive for a, a fossil fuel car. Uh, I don't agree with that necessarily because I think you're using fossil fuel to make hydrogen cars, for example. But so you have a $5,000 incentive to buy a car. Right now, there's a scrap it program, and I know that you know, normally goes up, runs out at the end, beginning of the year. It's a $6,500 program if you take your old fossil fuel junker and you junk it. So you get up to $11,000 to pay for an electric or hybrid electric vehicle. Um, right now, a Tesla is about $160,000 in Canada. A Model X is about $220,000, a Tesla Model X. But the Model 3 is coming out. It's going to be about $52,000 Canadian. We have the new Nissan Leaf at $30,000, and, and the range keeps going up all the time. So eventually, the, you don't, you're not going to need the incentives because the reason that electric vehicles make way more sense is, do you know how efficient an electric or internal combustion engine is on average? I'm guessing not very efficient. It's about 20%. <laughs> between 20 22%. Do you know how efficient an electric motor is in an electric car? Again, I'm going to guess probably more efficient than an internal combustion 95%. engine. 95%. So, and I'll give you an example. The Tesla or the uh, the Chevy Bolt is uh, has got a range of 230 miles, 238 miles, in, uh, according to the EPA. I'm sorry, we're in Canada. I don't know what miles means. Well, okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that 238 works out to what 400? So it's called 400 kilometers. All right, right. okay, on a charge, on a charge. So that that vehicle has a 60 kilowatt hour battery. And I'm sorry, these are numbers. I, I don't know how to break it down to make it any more palatable. <laughs> so a 60 kilowatt hour battery, a gallon of gasoline contains 33 kilowatts of energy. So a Tesla going 400 kilometers consumes the equivalent energy, but in electrical energy, of two gallons of gasoline. That's, that's because they're almost five times more efficient than an internal combustion engine. So where does all that, so it's 22% efficient on an internal combustion engine. The rest of that is heat. Pretty much 80% is created in heat, and then you get more, way more CO2 and noxious gases. The, but the, it's not only that, so the cost of actually fueling that vehicle is about 80% less, the electric vehicle. But you have no maintenance either, because they have regenerative brakes. I just heard about a story of a fellow who had a Chevy Bolt, which is a, it's a hybrid. And he drove uh, over 500,000 miles, never put a set of brakes in it, because it has regenerative braking. The new Chevy Bolt, you never have to use the brakes unless it's an emergency. You have a little paddle. You, have, you, have, you can put it in echo mode. So every time you take your foot off the accelerator, the car starts to slow down and it starts powering the battery because the engine works in reverse and powers the battery. Right. Or you have a paddle if you need to... And, you, and it, it's very smooth, beautiful. It, if, you, if you use regenerative braking, you're, being, you're going to get more mileage, but you're never going to have to buy a set of brakes. So what's that mean for maintenance? There's no oil changes, no tune-ups, you know, you know, no new mufflers, all that kind of stuff. The only thing you have to replace is basically tires and windshield wipers. And then the odd bit of lubricant. Yeah, so, and then we need so, to place the, place the plug them in. Well, let me, yeah, well, I have one at home and it's, I can get one now. Actually, there's a $750 grant now for me to put a thousand or $1,200 charger in my house. I just found out about that today in BC. So I can put a charger in for about a $1,200 charger in for about under, under $500. I don't even know an electric vehicle yet. I'm, I'm going to get one. I'm thinking, geez, I, I better do that. That's a great idea. So what's going to happen? What are you driving now? Oh, I drive a scooter. <laughs> I used to have an electric scooter, but it didn't make it up the hill. I live up the hill, so I have a little 250cc scooter that I, I, I drive principally. Okay. Um, but we're looking right now. What I need, I need a bigger vehicle 
I need because uh, we go away. something bigger than a scooter. Yeah. Well, I need something. I need something like a, there's a workhorse W15 truck that's it's going to be uh, made. It's made in the U.S., but it's a it's a hybrid. It has 80 mile range. So what I said, 130 kilometer range on a single charge, and then it has a gas range extender. And I personally like that deal because I want to get away from the internal combustion engine that has over 2,000 working parts. And, and, a, and a transmission that has over 750 working parts. I want to get away from the cost of tune-ups and all that kind of stuff. This truck has, it's, it's got a little range generator. The, the, if it doesn't work, I just have to charge, I have to work on electricity only. But my cost of maintenance go way down. And this is a truck, so it's a pickup. I need a pickup truck. And they're, they're figuring they're going to bring them out next year for 52,000 US. So it'll be $75,000 Canadian. But what's happening is, how much does it cost to make, so you've got a, a motor that's got under 20 working parts. I mean, it can be two working parts for an electric motor. And then you've got an internal combustion engine with over 2,000 working parts. What do you think is going to be, comparing the exact economies of scale, what do you think is going to be cheaper to cost, to make in the long run? Yeah, no, no doubt. Listen, no argument there. I think no, it's let, me, let me finish my All right, point. Go ahead. The point is that on the day that that truck, that pickup truck, either hybrid or electric, is the same cost or less than a new vehicle, I mean, it already is if you look at the lifetime, because you've got no costs for maintenance. You've got very, almost no cost for maintenance. You've got a very small cost, about 20% of the cost for, for uh, charging it. And that's if you pay for your charging. There's a lot of free charges around. On the day that vehicle, the same identical vehicle, one uh, is a internal combustion engine, one is electric. It has cost 80% less to run. On the day those are the exact same price, what do you think is going to happen to the market? And that, there's a guy named Tony Seba, S-E-B-A, who's got a great video, a great video on YouTube, talks about clean disruption. And he figures that's coming in 2022. <clears throat> right. If there, if there are places to plug these cars in. Well, that's why we're working with the municipality. No, I can, I mean, I can get around that by having a charger in my own home. Now, if I go on long trip, but if I go around. But you see, that's the thing. People say, okay, that's, and yeah, and for 90% right. of your transportation, that's going to be fine. Right. But the funny thing is when people are looking at making a purchase, they're always like, well, what if, what if I want to go down Sally's on the weekend and she lives over on the island and, you know. That's what it goes, starts to go through people's minds. They start to they start to invent problems that they're probably never going to encounter. But if it's there and they're not sure about the technology, that prevents them from making a purchase. So what, when yeah. is that going to change? Marcus, you look like you want to jump in. Yeah, well, we're, we're at the point. I think we're, we're at a tipping point, I think, is where we're at. It's like we're, mm -hmm. there's the only thing that's we think we've – I'm trying to sum up here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that we are at a precipice of having fantastic technology coming up is just convincing the people to say, yeah, it's awesome. Right. We have to prove to them it's cost effective. Right. And we need government to get out of the way to say, you know what? They're right. Buy this stuff with these companies. Is, there, is that what you're saying? We're well, much any new technology needs some incentives because, I mean, look, if we didn't need incentives, why is the fossil fuel industry still getting $3.3 billion a year? I mean, so, but, but my point is that very soon there's going to be no incentives necessary because the better technology is going to be available for less and it's going to cost you way less to operate. Now, the charging, that's why the federal government's spending over $180 million right now is to put in these, and they're doing, Squamish is involved in it. They're, they're going to put charging stations in. We have charging stations around Squamish. We only have one level three, which is the high-speed charger, but we have a number of level two chargers. I would have a level two charger in my house, which charge, would charge the average car in six to eight hours. So it's overnight, basically. Okay. And then you can just plug it into a wall, and then it would take you 14 hours. It'd be very right. slow, but at least you can get a trickle charge. So... If you get stuck, you can just plug it, find a wall plug somewhere and plug it in and go and, you know, and go and have a meal or something. 
But the level two chargers are every, and they're building them at a very high rate. If you go down to the states, you're gonna find far more chargers than we have here. Even, you know, even with Donald Trump, they're still installing more, as far as I know, more well, chargers. I know, I know the states are doing their own thing. They're like, whatever, Trump, we're doing our own yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's just become too cost effective. Well, it's, it's because at the, at the end of the day, the technology is, is developing and people understand how the technology works now. Now they're becoming easily accessible and now there's a business model behind it. People can make money, jobs are, are depending on it. So this is how, this is what I'm saying, like that, and even though you're not Gore, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know much about his politics, but I do know about the one thing he said, what rang true, and I mentioned this earlier, is that once it be, once green is green, once people start making money with it, and then people, and it's a business model that works, and you, you've been proving it, it has been working, then that's when, that's when we're going to see change. Now, the, the only issue left now, because the change is happening, you've proven to me, I am convinced that, you know, like, to switch over uh, and, and to think that the technology is more accessible to me now. Uh, the question is, 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 the, is the, the speed of it for everyone else to catch up? You know what I mean? For everyone else in Canada to catch up, or you mean around the world? I'm, I'm talking about let's, a global scale. Let's because talk about Western industrialized countries. Yeah, because we can't really. If we're talking about 2024, we're talking about 2024, 2025. <laughs> I mean, by then, uh, if, we're, if we're talking about like the environment, they're talking about how already at that point will be two degrees above where we're no, supposed not, to be. Well, 2030, 2030 to 2050. So we're trying to keep it below tw uh, two degrees for 2050. Right. So like that's what I'm saying. So like the timing uh, is quite tight. So it, it's so it, it's it's about getting your word out there. Well, that's baked in. Two, a two degree increase is baked in. We just don't know how quickly it's going to come. I mean, yeah. and that we just have to deal with that. Yeah. But the question is, the faster we adopt this new technology, uh, the better off we're going to be. But uh, you know, I, I just like to finish up. And you know, I know we're coming to the end of our time here. But so, if we as a as developing countries can produce this technology for the developed country, developing countries, and make it more co more cost effective, cheaper. So, so a guy is going out and looking at a rickshaw. He's either going to get the putt-putt diesel or he's going to get the electric one that has the same range, costs 30% less, and he doesn't have to put fuel in it. I mean, so he'll look at that and go, well, that's newer used. He'll look at it and go, oh, that makes way more sense. Yeah, I'm going to get totally. that. And that's, that's the best thing we can do. And that's, and that's what I'm saying. It's going to take time before it gets there. Well, six and years. That's what, six years? Six years. Well, that's, that was the number I was looking no, for. No, four years. Actually, four, well, 2022 is four years away. And that's what... So Tony Siva, and there's been other people, I've heard estimates anywhere from 2020 to 2025. So let's say 20, 22 and a half. That's, we're going to be at a point now, and they're producing, I mean, Mercedes now is producing vehicles. Audi, Volkswagen, they've got this new microbus there that's going to be all electric. They've got autonomous driving. So, I mean, this, these technologies are happening so quickly. It's, it, the trouble is trying to keep up with it all. Yeah. And it's coming so quickly. So the idea is every time somebody goes to buy a new or used vehicle, they're faced with a series of choices. And those choices are going to get way more cost effective for operational costs. There's a great site called um, oh, Carbon, oh, what's it is? Carbon, carbon.com, I think. And you can go in there and you can actually compare all your vehicles. Carbon Counter, carboncounter.com. You can go in there and you can compare all the different vehicles, electric, whatever, hybrid, whatever. And you can set, the, you go into the custom, and you can actually set the, the mileage you get. And in Canada, you have to set it right to the top because our gasoline is more expensive than anything in the U.S. But you look at the life cycle cost, and you can set that. You say life cycle 10 years, 12 years, 14 years, whatever, 15, whatever. And you can actually determine, you can actually then compare on a graph what puts out the most emissions and what has the most, has the best cost per kilometer, cost per mile. So, I mean, it's, it's really easy to do that. And, and as the cost of electric and, and hybrid vehicles come down, that gets more and more attractive. Yeah. And that's where we're heading. And it's just yeah. a matter of how quickly. I'm saying by 2022, you're going to be able to buy a very similar vehicle. If you buy new, it's going to take you a little longer if you buy used. 
but you'll be able to look at the vehicles and be, okay, I can get a vehicle that has similar, all the similar uh, benefits and features. I can look at internal combustion, and if it's a carbon tax, that's going to even look less attractive. You know, the fact right now our gas prices in BC are going up, I say, bring it on. You know, if, if Alberta wants to play hardball with us, take the price up to two bucks because that's yeah, gonna, I, I that's going to incentivize. I don't think we need a carbon tax. I think there's going to be I think there's going to be plenty of built-in carbon a stupid tax. tax. That's a stupid in, tax. Incentivizing yeah. people as it is, and that's what I you know I'm you know I agree with you. Let the market decide. I, I you know I'm not all doom and gloom. I think that humans are infinitely inventive and resourceful when, and, when they have to be. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. That's true. When we have to, but you know, I, I see your point, you know, you think, you know, Marcus, uh, you might have some pessimism that the third world might not adopt this technology that soon, but you know, I agree with you, Matt. I could see it happening. I could see, you know, a, a tut tut driver in Thailand going, yeah, well, this is a no brainer. I'll just buy the electric one because at, at the end of the day, if when, when I go and I go back to the middle East and back to Asia, if a tut tut driver is driving a tuk tuk that's like electric, I know we've made it. <laughs> More good to go. Well, they are. They are. It's going to take a little longer. But I mean, if you look at Africa now, without solar panels, people out in the bush, African families in the bush, do not have power. They can. That, there's programs now that help them buy it for the equivalent of fifty dollars. A solar panel, that, so they can listen to the radio. They get light. So now kids can come home who are studying. They don't have to go to sleep at eight o'clock or seven. In the tropics, it gets dark at seven, six thirty, seven o'clock. So. No homework. That's it. They have dinner, wash up, help the mom. There's no time for homework because it's dark. And they, you know, they read by candle like that. I mean, they got to buy candles. Solar panels. Once you put the solar panels on, you got LED lights. Your cost of actually maintenance are next to zero. So all of a sudden, this revolution's opening up areas that never had power, never had these these benefits before. And so, I mean, yeah, that's, have, that's really exciting. They have wires there, exactly. And they and they can have, you can have a solar powered well. It'll actually it'll generate a little pump, a little pump, that with a, run by a solar panel. So you just make sure you pump your water. If you don't have a battery, just make sure you pump your water during the day. Get tons of tons of light. So I mean, that's that's the uh, that's the other side of the developing story, yeah. developing nation story. They're getting all these things now that we've had for years and taken for granted, but they're getting it because of this new technology. Yeah, they don't have to build dams and run wires, right? They just like a panel and a battery and plug in very much, right? Well, you li- like you say, you lived in Egypt. How how much power does the Nasser Dam provide to Egypt. I, I don't have those numbers. Okay. It's a fairly significant amount, but it's a pretty it's, big. Game. Oh, is it still? Pretty, I, well, I don't. I mean, I. I know it's huge. It's, I went yeah. to it. That 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 yeah, it's large. I don't know how much the power that that dam provides, but then you have the other dam up the river in Ethiopia that's causing a lot of other political tensions. But it's another story altogether because mm-hmm. they're building a giant dam up the up the river. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I'm feeling a little bit more inspired than before. Really? Before I was a little bit pessimistic uh, okay. because I, for me, I think, and for the general populace who's listening. It would be, it would be that the availability, the cost, and uh, at the end, and that's the that's the marker because it's it's money out of my pocket, and that's right. that's how people sometimes make their decisions. Well, most of the time, make their decisions. Can I afford an electric car? I would like to have one. However, uh, Tesla is one hundred fifty grand, but they're coming out with a fifty grand one. Okay, right. so there's options. And then and Ford and all these different companies are now racing to build, bring more. I mean, the, the Nissan Leaf is you know thirty grand for a new car. Yeah, and then when they, you can actually buy them now and use for twelve to fifteen thousand. Well, every right. hurdle, every hurdle that I think like I had, or I think the general populace would have, is is being knocked down one by one. Right. Right. So yeah. it's just a question of scalability now. Now to get it around the world as fast as we can, uh, to get a cleaner green space. And um, I, yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll the, tell mar- you. the market will prevail. The market will deliver these these well, innovations. Sometimes the, the market needs a bit of help. I mean, <laughs> but you and I will differ on that, I guess, for past today. 
But I'd just like to invite you, you know, we, we have a site here in Squamish. It's actually become a global site now. It's the Squamish Alternative Energy Group. And we're on Facebook. We have over 700 members. And I and other experts come in and are prepared. We share stories. And so, for example, if you're thinking of putting solar in your house, I have cost sheets. I can, you can actually, I can do the calculations based on, you know, whatever cost you're looking at. We have, we have resources. So if people are interested in learning more about this stuff, they can go to Facebook, uh, the Squamish Alternative Energy Group on Facebook. Just Google it. It'll come up. And we're happy to answer. So, and, and there's also, if you subscribe, you'll get about one article a day that should just be notified that, oh, there's an article. And we, I post articles. And then there's other members that post articles. So we have anywhere from one to three articles a day on different things. And it's all on cutting edge, new ideas, new technologies. And we get people challenging us. You know, people with fossil fuel trolls come in and they love to throw, up, throw stuff at us. But, you know, we can handle, I'm, I'm very happy to deal with that because most of the stuff that's being thrown at us is based on falsehood. Don't, don't invite the trolls. You'll, you'll get them. <laughs> oh, I do. No, we got them. We got them already. We got them already and they, uh, they kind of give up. All right. But anyways, uh, thanks thank, for coming in, man. Absolutely. Thank thanks for, for coming me. in, Matt. You're, you're a wealth of information. Thanks. This is the Sea to Sky podcast. If you have a comment or story ideas, please check out our website at seataskypodcast.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Sea to Sky podcast. Thank you for clicking us on.